0: this week's Adam Schefter podcast, we will wrap up conference championship weekend and begin to look ahead to Super Bowl 53. We'll do it with my outstanding colleague, Field Yates, who talks about the Patriots' historical significance and some of the things that we could see change around the NFL this offseason. And then we'll be joined by the ESPN NFL researcher, Evan Kaplan, who provides an analytical breakdown of some of the things we saw this past weekend and what we will see in Super Bowl 53, and then we will finish off with the new Cleveland Browns head coach, Freddie Kitchens, who talks about the approach that he took to land the job that many wanted. But first, the Yates. So we are just fresh out of the conference championship weekend. I think when we look back on it, Field, probably one of the most dramatic, if not the most dramatic, conference championship Sundays in NFL history because we've never seen two conference championship games go to overtime. And I also think that there's two incredible controversies that come out of both games oddly enough number one in the first game should penalty calls particularly pass interference be reviewable and in the second game to the overtime does the overtime rule need to be changed because the Patriots get a possession and because the Chiefs lose the coin flip they never even get the football in overtime what do we think of what comes out of Sunday as we start to head into preparations for Super Bowl 53.
1: You know, Adam, I think that the most important matter from Sunday that will be addressed this off season is the pass interference and the need to review it. And I saw you early on Monday morning on Get Up reference, our Sports Center uh, reference that Bill Belichick has long been an advocate for making pass interference, heck, all plays reviewable. But I think that is going to be the one that ramps up and generates more attention this off because we've heard people that and I don't think they're being that dramatic in saying this have said this is perhaps the most egregious blown call in the history of the NFL. And it's it's not just that it was a high leverage moment. It's that it was an incredibly obvious call. Like, I don't know yeah. how many violations Nickel Roby Coleman committed, but you could have picked, like, it was basically dealer's choice, which one of the five penalties that you want to call, and the reality was the NFL called none of them.
0: It was incredible to watch. And you know what's interesting about what you're saying is, I can remember other plays from other seasons where you said, well, this is going to get that conversation going. And I remember calling various members of the competition committee, reaching out to them to say, is this going to be reviewed this off season?" And let me say this to you. I've had that conversation with someone on the competition committee for, I would say, each of the last five or six years. And every single year, the answer comes back to me, No. We are not going to review it. Every year, no, we are not going to review it. Now, it's Monday morning, day after Conference Championship Sunday. We're going to reach out to more people again this week. We're going to see if this, as you're saying, is enough to get it reviewed. But in my mind, we're not changing the number of challenges that a coach is given. He gets three challenges. Why should he not be allowed to use them on a play that is so important At that particular point in time, that is reviewable. Look, you can challenge whether a guy stepped out of bounds. Challenge whether he held on to the football. Challenge whether he got his feet into the end zone. Whether the ball crossed the goal. I mean, there are so many things you can challenge. Why can't you challenge if a ref made a bad call?
1: Especially when in recent off-seasons, the NFL has addressed and refined defensive pass interference, illegal contact, defensive holding, all of these calls that are made routinely throughout the game. And a couple of dynamics here that I think are also interesting, Shefty, like you just said. For whatever reason, there's been resistance to this in the past. And I think not only did that play yesterday probably ramp up the conversation, but think about who that play involved. Sean Payton, who in 2017 was named to the NFL's competition committee. Can you imagine the voice that he will have this year whenever the NFL competition committee first meets, whether it's just before the Super Bowl, just before the owners' meetings in March, who knows, whenever that time will be. You can imagine that Sean Payton will have a prominent voice in reemphasizing the need to have every play or every play that has some subjectivity evolved involved to be reviewed in the NFL. I just think that like that right now there is human error involved in officiating. That will never go away. But ultimately, our best chance to mitigate that human error is by making plays like yesterday's reviewable. Again, three challenge maximum. That's it. This is not going to delay games. It's not going to turn this yeah. into four hour festivities. You know, some of the issues baseball is double with the pace of play. No. Getting that call right is more important than having people waking up this morning, not just in New Orleans, but all over the country and saying it just doesn't feel whole and
0: right. You know what, Field, now that you say that, that is a great point and it has not caught fire yet as we tape this and it's gonna catch fire that Sean Payton was added. To the competition committee because we've seen changes in the makeup of the competition committee over the past season, right? Marvin Lewis out, Rick Smith, the former Texans GM, out. Sean Payton added, John Elway added. There's a little bit of a different dynamic, and we'll see whether those voices carry any different weight. But literally, as we're doing this, someone texting somebody on the competition committee to say, "Now, now,
1: yeah, I mean, is this going to be reviewed?" I mean, seriously, you know, so you're texting the competition committee now, like, we, we're going to have, have to have a race to Twitter to see you can make the point about Sean Payton on the, uh, being on the competition committee. And certainly, I would think that the competition, so I feel like every year, Adam, we kind of make major progress on one rule, right? Every year, uh, during the offseason, we address one key notable thing. Last year, it was the catch rule. We've had the celebration rule in the past. We've had major items addressed. This past year, I'm not sure that it was positively addressed, but we had the court- Quarterbacks, uh, you know, being hit in the pockets and, uh, and, and rough in the passer refined, plus, of course, the lowering of the head, mm-hmm. uh, to initiate contact. It feels like right now, and maybe I'm being a prisoner of the moment, but heck, how many bigger moments are there than yesterday? The answer is there's probably only one more bigger moment, which is 13 days from now during the Super Bowl, that that's going to be the talking point, not just going into, uh, Super Bowl 53, but coming out of it as well. And think about how last year in the Super Bowl, there were many who believed, and I think we've, this has been sort of reported, is that the NFL had all these catch issues during the regular season. Mm-hmm. Now they eventually addressed them during the off season, but some people felt as though the NFL legislated the catch rule differently in the Super Bowl last year than it did during the regular season because of the outcry that took place and all of the controversial catch-no-catch. No catch. You wonder if, let's say something comes up in the Super Bowl, like are refs going to air differently in terms of throwing a flag, not throwing a flag, on pass interference, holding, illegal contact, somebody to keep an eye on when the Rams and Pats face off?
0: Well, I've just sent out an email to a member of the competition committee, and I said, now are these the kind of calls that are going to be reviewable and we'll see? What kind of response comes in? And I'll speak to other members of the committee this week, too, as well, to see what happens there. All right, how about overtime field? Do you think that that needs to be tinkered with, or are you okay with a conference championship game ending with one possession for one team that won the coin flip?
1: You know, I have long believed that the best form for overtime was to just play like to just play, basically have teams go tit for tat, right? Each team is allowed the same number of drives, mm-hmm. and when the other, t- you know, so if the opening team scores and the, the second team has has a chance to, to to rebuttal, and if they don't, game over. And I I've, even if the, even if the first score, like in yesterday's game with the Patriots, was a touchdown, like I'm all for the Chiefs getting a chance. Mm-hmm. To meet the Patriots, match the Patriots. And does it have to be only in the postseason? That's fine. Like, if you want to make it only in the playoffs because you don't want to have a seven overtime game because teams either can't score or they keep matching each other during the regular season, you want to avoid it? That's fine. But I think about it this way. College football has a setup in place where teams are basically bound to score on every drive in overtime. They start at the 25 yard line. Mm -hmm. And yet when LSU and Texas A&M play a seven overtime game this year, like that is the game of the year in college football in many ways because it's such a rarity. Like I don't think that if the NFL set it up, even if they made it just in the postseason where the two teams get an identical number of possessions no matter what, like The rebuttal is always in place. I don't think we're going to have some scenario where we're routinely seeing playoff games go for an extra you know, 75 minutes of gameplay. I think in a lot of cases, it's going to sort itself out in one overtime.
0: I like it for the regular season the way it is. I got no problem with it. Regular season, regular season. When you get to the postseason and there's history and legacies on the line that everybody's watching, again, New England deserved to win the game, played an incredible game won the coin toss, did what it had to do. Kansas City's defense did not come through. All those points are all right on and valid. But the fact that Kansas City is not allowed the chance to get the ball in overtime, I like the idea, as you're saying, of having one 12 minute overtime and you play 12 minutes and it goes as long as you want, as much as you want and let the chips fall where they will. But, to just end it on one possession. It just it doesn't feel right to Kansas City. Although I will say, New England deserved to win it, and that's the way it goes.
1: Yeah, and they, listen, the Patriots got the ball, and they drove. They did what the Saints could not do when they also got the ball to open up overtime. They went down, they scored. Mm-hmm. Not only did they score, it was a touchdown, game over. But I feel like it, I'm with you, Sha. It just felt like the you know fans were robbed. The brilliance of Patrick Mahomes, like I, I, it's almost amazing to think that. The Chiefs scored 31 points in the second half, or maybe you look at it as the Patriots allowed 31 points in a half of a playoff game and still won. It's mm. still like that's just ridiculous. And maybe like there's got to be some sort of award. I've been thinking about these arbitrary uh, made up awards recently. What do we give Matt Slater, Patriots special teams captain, guy who's been one of the best players on their team for a long time, who in the matter of two years prevented Matt Ryan, the 2016 NFL MVP, and yesterday, Patrick Mahomes, the presumptive 2018 NFL MVP, from getting on the field in overtime of a playoff game by correctly calling heads on two separate occasions. Like Slater deserves, maybe there's like a like a sub-MVP award for uh, most clutch performer. Like it, there's got to be something that Slater deserves based off those two calls.
0: All right, let's spin it forward a little bit. Let's get your immediate preview, look ahead, thoughts, being that you're gathering them in your mom's house as you're doing your homework today <laughs> on Super Bowl 53 what are you making the matchup
1: yeah uh first of all it's a great matchup there's so much i don't i'm not sure if it's irony there's so much just uh different sides of the spectrum right you've got Bill Belichick, who to me, greatest coach in the history of team sports, shot and defensive-minded guy, obviously, Sean McVay, who has now become the model that other teams are, whether you think it's just a coincidence or not, like other teams are looking for their own Sean McVay. You've got two Bay Area quarterbacks, and Jared Goff and Tom Brady, but one of them is kind of California cool, right? Jared Goff is sort of viewed as this, you know, nothing really, um, you know, everything sort of just rolls off his shoulders. Then you've got Tom Brady, who's this fiery 41 year old Adam, who just can't quit. He will never be able to quit the fact that he was 199th overall in the draft and benched during his final season of college football and a guy that everything he feels, uh, that he accomplishes mm-hmm. is Earned, And not that uh, uh, players don't always earn, but Brady, you know, he's got the ultimate chip on his shoulder. Um, it's a great, great matchup in a lot of ways. I, th- I think to sort of not sort of steer towards all of the obvious, though, over the past two weeks, I would contend that the strength of the Rams has been their defensive line. And the strength of the Patriots.
0: Offensive line. Has
1: been their offensive line. And Dominican Sue, obviously Aaron Donald, Michael Brockers, Dante Fowler's giving them some juice off the edge. That right there has all the makings of one of my favorite matchups in the Super Bowl.
0: Let me say this right now. The most underrated person, most important person to the Patriots success this year that nobody is mentioning. Nobody's talking about. Dante Scarnecki, their offensive line coach.
1: How about this, Adam? So who is he coaching? He is coaching a seventh-round left tackle, a third-round left guard in Joe Tooney, an undrafted center in David Andrews, a right guard in Shaq Mason, fourth-round pick, and Marcus Cannon, who slipped to the fifth round because he overcame cancer.
0: Wait, wait, so, so, his- so, so that's a seven, a three, an undrafted free agent, a fourth, and a fifth-round pick,
1: correct? How about, how about that? Those are the guys that he is working with. And they didn't
0: is. allow a sack yesterday and they didn't allow a sack against the Chargers. They have not given up a sack this postseason. They're running the ball at will. Their performance is peaking at the right time. It's offensive line based. And again, when they convinced Dante Skarnecki to come out of retirement or whether he opted to do that. On his own, whatever it was, there was not a more valuable offseason acquisition that the Patriots have made in any recent season than getting back Dante Yeah, you
1: know, This is one more stat to illustrate just how great he was and how great the offensive line was yesterday. The Patriots ran more plays, 94, than any team has run in any game this season. Tom Brady took a knee, a knee at the wow. end of regulation uh when they had six seconds left after Harrison Bucker tied the game. So the Patriots ran 94 plays. They had zero negative plays yesterday, other than Tom Brady's kneel down, which throw that away. So 93 plays, zero sacks, zero negative runs against the number one pass rush in the NFL yesterday, the Kansas City Chiefs. The Patriots, 93 for 93 in not moving backwards. That right there is talking about staying on script and sticking with the formula. The Patriots did it brilliantly.
0: Bill Belichick has gone up against five number one ranked offenses as a head coach. He's four in one of those games. Wow. Okay. I it, mean, so if they get it done with the offensive line, they get it done with the defensive line. They get it done on special teams with Matthew Slick. And here's the thing that, that I also always remember. Okay. In talking to people at the Patriots' various points in time, maybe you've heard the same thing mentioned to you, but I remember people saying 75% of the teams in the league beat themselves. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Beat themselves. Count the Patriots in the 25% that don't. Because these other teams, we could look at the Saints yesterday, right? The play before the controversial play, first down, roughly the 20-yard line. The Saints... Pass the ball. I stood up in my chair and said, why are you passing and not running the clock? the What are you doing? If they had run three straight plays, they would have bled the clock down. They would have attempted a game-winning field goal that Will Lutz would have made, and none of this controversy would have happened. So they blew that. They gave that away. How about the Kansas City Chiefs yesterday? I think they won the coin flip, and they deferred. Why are you deferring and putting Tom Brady on the field first against your defense that's vulnerable rather than taking the lead at home with your number one ranked offense? Why is that? These teams, they just, they make mistakes and beat themselves
1: routinely. And the Patriots knew going into that game that. It, you know it's it's one thing to describe how effective the chiefs have been in terms of points scored in the first quarter. The numbers speak for themselves. They've been an unbelievable first quarter team and it's just hard to come from behind in the NFL. but there's an emotional side of it. the Patriots, I know were aware of going into that game that you have to find a way to withstand the blow and I understand that a lot of things changed after that opening drive of the game yeah. but I could not help but think about the Patriots playing in the Super Bowl against the New York Giants when they were the prohibitive favorites they take the Giants get that first drive and I want to say in the second Super Bowl, or maybe it was no maybe it was the first time they played when the Patriots were at the time eighteen or no. I want to say the Giants had like a seven and a half minute drive that wound up in a field goal, but still, Tom Brady Randy Moss, Wes Welker, high-powered offense.
0: Off the field.
1: Off the field. The game started at 620. They ended up touching the ball for the first time at like 6.57 p.m. that night. Like That's how you get a team off of its schedule.
0: It's what Bill Belichick did as the Giants defensive coordinator of the Buffalo Bills and their number 1 ranked offense. We've seen it happen time again. As soon as the game starts and they start running the ball, you say, okay, this is what's going on. And we talk about teams giving away the chances or blowing games. How about the Chiefs calling timeout? before the end of the first half to give Brady more time to score again. I mean, just just little, little things that make the difference, make mistakes. How often do you see the Patriots make a mistake? You know when they made a mistake? They made a mistake in Miami on the final play of the game, and it cost them home field advantage, and yesterday... Bill Belichick and the Patriots atoned for that and wiped away that mistake and the meaning of that mistake because that mistake it made in Miami now means nothing. New England is going to the Super Bowl.
1: You know, it's pretty incredible, too. I completely agree Like that they are able to overcome the errors that they do make, and not to take this away from this, the tenor of his game, but just, again, Sean McVay is going to coach in the Super Bowl, and everybody kind of wants Sean McVay. And part of what I think we have seen from Sean McVay, obviously the brilliance people steer towards, is how great he is as a play caller. But isn't part of what's made him a successful head coach is what we're talking about right now that makes Bill Belichick a great head coach is situational football, not hurting yourself. Like All these teams are chasing the offensive proficiency and stuff like that. Shouldn't they be chasing like which teams most disciplined play within themselves but also understand the moment like it feels like the patriots just are they the most talented team they've ever had that no. makes so super bowl no no but but i i i they they certainly have a strong self belief they are they are not going to hurt themselves they are not going to beat themselves and you know it, it, football has the most unique playoff format in sports This is not the NBA where best of seven leads it to probably going to be the Warriors in most cases, right? Or almost every case. Mm -hmm. The Patriots, any given Sunday, believe they can win, and so far, here they are, once again, nine Super Bowls with Brady and Belichick at the helm.
0: They are not the 75 percenters. They are the 25 percenters in the NFL, the 25 percent that don't make mistakes, that cost themselves the game, and they have the greatest coach who's ever been in football, and... They have the greatest quarterback who's ever been in football. And when you take the greatest coach and the greatest quarterback and team them together, you get a run like the Patriots have had establishing a dynasty field. Go back to your homework in your mom's place. We'll see you here in Bristol. Thanks very much for the time today.
1: I have one final thought, Shift, to get us out on this. So the Patriots are led by the greatest head coach in Bill Belichick, a graduate of Wesleyan, and the greatest quarterback of all time, and Tom Brady, a graduate of Michigan. This very podcast right now, hosted by you, a Michigan man, a proud Michigan man, me, a proud Wesleyan Cardinal, <laughs>
0: we're basically the Brady and Belichick of podcasting. <laughs> there we go, and there we have it. They're much more prolific. They're more high profile, but I'll take it, Field. We'll take it. Thanks very much for the time today. Thank you. We'll be back in a moment with ESPN NFL researcher Evan Kaplan, but first I want to tell you about Dollar Shave Club. I love that Dollar Shave Club has everything I need to look, feel, and smell my best. What I love even more is the fact that I never have to go to a store. That's because, one, DSC delivers everything I need right to my door, and two, they keep me fully stocked on what I use so I don't run out. Here's how it works. Dollar Shave Club has everything you need to get ready no matter what you're getting ready for. They have you covered head to toe for your hair, skin, face, you name it, they have it. And they have this new program where they automatically keep you stocked up on the products you use. You determine what you want and when you want it and it shows up right at your door from once a month to once every six months. That's what I do for DSC's toothpaste. It gets sent to me every couple of months and leaves my breath smelling fresh and mouth feeling clean. Plus, with their Handsome Discount the more you buy the more you save and right now they've got a bunch of starter sets you can try for just five dollars like their oral care kit after that the restock box ships regular size products at regular price so what are you waiting for get your starter set for just five dollars right now at dollarshaveclub.com slash a s that's dollarshaveclub.com slash a s cap hit All right. A post championship game pre super bowl edition of cap hits with NFL ESPN researcher Evan Kaplan and Evan, we finally have the matchup we've waited all season for super bowl 53 New England Patriots versus the Los Angeles Rams. What do we make? Of this matchup and your early thoughts on it. Well, look, we played 266
2: games this season, including the playoffs, and finally we're at the Super Bowl. And look, it's the Patriots coming full circle in the Brady-Belichick era. You consider that Hmm. their first Super Bowl in this run was Super Bowl 36 against the Rams, and while they're still there, everything is different about pretty much both teams. You look at the rest of the Patriots, you look at the Rams, that team, Kurt Warner at quarterback, Marshall Falk, at running back. They had two other Hall of Famers in Aeneas Williams, Orlando Pace. Mike Martz was the head coach. So you you think back to where the NFL was, where the Patriots were, where the Rams were heading at this point in so early 2002, heading into that game, and now where we are now.
0: And the Rams aren't even in the same city
2: where they were. They were in St. Louis. They're in Los Angeles now. The the Rams' first Super Bowl as the Los Angeles
0: Rams since back in the 70s against the Steelers. Well, I actually was thinking about this after we – saw that this is the matchup, Rams-Patriots, 2001 season, correct? Yes. 2002 Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. That was, and forgive me for saying this, that was the 9-11 Super Bowl Mm -hmm. where the Patriots come out onto the field as a team, running out onto the field together. We hadn't really seen that in sports, I don't believe, and they came to embody what a team is like what the Patriots stand for, and really was reflective of where we were in the country at that time. I know watching NFL primetime after
2: the championship games on Sunday night, Tom Jackson, our own Tom Jackson, said that was one of his most memorable moments in Super Bowl history. Of of all the Super Bowls that he's been alive for, that singular moment of the Patriots coming out as a team was one of his most memorable.
0: Just running out as a team. Absolutely. And by the way, this is a team that has gone on to achieve Greatness in all these Super Bowls. But but the two men that stand out are the head coach yep. Bill Belichick and the quarterback Tom Brady. How do we put in perspective what Tom Brady's done here?
2: Look, this is his ninth Super Bowl appearance in eighteen seasons as a starter. So so he has reached the Super Bowl <laughs> in fifty percent of the season since he's been a starter in two thousand one. So that those nine Super Bowls for him alone, that's more than any other team has, obviously, besides the Patriots and NFL history. You have eight for the Steelers, Cowboys, and Broncos entering this season. I mean, half half of the seasons he has gone to the Super Bowl in an era where, in a sport where there is a salary cap, in a sport where there is always turnover every year. We
0: always talk about mm-hmm. the teams that didn't make the playoffs, that made the playoffs. He's there every year. And last week, Robert Kraft, the Patriots owner, tells our Mike Reese, the fine Patriots reporter for ESPN.com Boston, that Tom Brady is the greatest player greatest football player who's ever played. And it'd be hard to argue. How would you stack up Brady against his it contemporaries? See that,
2: yeah, so so let's look at it this way. So there are five quarterbacks in NFL history who have thrown at least 400 touchdown passes. Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, Drew Brees, Brett Favre, and Dan Marino. Most people, you could throw Joe Montana in there who didn't maybe have the regular season statistics, but those are the quarterbacks probably at the top of the list in terms of the greatest in NFL history. Mm-hmm. Tom Brady will be appearing in his ninth Super Bowl. Those four other quarterbacks, Marino, Peyton, Breeze, Favre combined for 8 Super Bowl appearances. He has more by himself than those four other incredible names and either Hall of Famers or future Hall of Famers in Breeze and Peyton's case have in their careers. It when you look at it that way, I think it's just it's just remarkable.
0: Okay, one of the storylines, central storylines of the offseason was the fact that the Rams were going for it. Mm-hmm. They were spending to win. You saw all the moves that they made, even in season, by the way, trading for Dante Fowler right before the trade deadline because they knew that they could be at this point right now. How would we define and classify how the Rams approached the offseason to get to where they wanted in the postseason? Since the
2: start of the 2018 league year back in March, the Rams have spent $243 million in guaranteed money. So that includes some free agent signings like in Dominican two that also includes extending their own players Todd Gurley obviously the historic deal that Aaron Donald got you look at that that's by far the most guaranteed money spent for any team to play in the Super Bowl in the last 5 years it's the first time that a team is ranking that high they, they had the second most money spent behind the bears in the 2018 league year the only the, the first time it's the first time that a team ranked that high in overall spending since the Seahawks back in the 2014 season were first and you look at the Patriots and where they fall on this list and the Patriots were 66 million in guaranteed money the Rams were 243 million in the 2018 league year so you look at the different ways that these teams have gotten there and look we we talk about it a lot does the, winning the off season equal winning in the regular season? look this year it's paid off for the LA Rams
0: so the Rams have only spent roughly $180 million more than That's the it. Patriots oh, to get to where since, they are right since now. Since March, yep. That's oh it. And, you, just, and by the way, it's just another tip of the cap right, to the Patriots. Right. That's more credit That they to can the do Patriots. this right. in the economical way they do. Yeah. They save money. They yep. save draft picks. Right. They do everything the right way. Right. They, they are. And also <laughs> think about this for a moment. I actually was thinking this the other night. If you're like a 21-year-old legally drinking person in Boston, and there are plenty of them, all you've known is great success. Yep. You are so spoiled, mm-hmm. so entitled, right. so out of touch with the real <laughs> ways of being a sports fan that you just think it's the the Patriots' right. birthright to go and advance to the Super Bowl. Right. It doesn't work like that. You know, at the very
2: least, you're going to be in the conference championship game, and, and the majority of the time, you're going to win that game and go to the
0: Super Bowl. Unbelievable. And how about the draft? Have the Rams been successful there? How do Yeah, look, we
2: we talk about the spending and the the free agency and and trading for players like Brandon Cooks, Aqib Tlaib, and Marcus Peters, who who have certainly made a huge impact and are a big reason that the Rams are playing in this game in Atlanta, but you can't discount the the three first-round drafts for the Rams from 2014 to 2016. 2014, Aaron Donald, best defensive player in the league. 2015, Mm -hmm. first round, Todd Gurley, one of the best running backs in the league. And then and then, once they had those two players in 2016, they make the trade up to number 1. They pick Jared Goff. Now they have their quarterback. A year later, they bring in Sean McVay. So you can look at kind of two different ways that this team was built. It started kind of through the draft with building their core players, and then all those supplemental role players were through free agency, through trade. It's very interesting to see how they were built to, to win the NFC this year.
0: They're an impressive group. They've done it a different way than New England, but they have all arrived In the same point, getting ready for Super Bowl 53. Thanks, Evan, and we'll have you back next week to dig more into the X's and O's of Super Bowl 53. Looking forward to it, Adam. We'll be back in a moment with new Browns head coach, Freddie Kitchens. But first, I want to tell you about Vivid Seats. You know me best for news and information, and I've got some more for you. Vivid Seats is offering ESPN fans 10% of football tickets, but you have to act fast. Head to vividseats.com and and enter promo code ESPN at checkout to receive 10% off your first order. Vivid Seats is the official ticket partner of ESPN, and with their 100% buyer's guarantee, there's no reason to miss a game this year. Don't wait. Offer ends soon. Head to VividSeats.com, get off the couch, and get into the action. Your team needs you. Hello, Freddie. Hey, Adam. How you doing, man? Congratulations. I appreciate it, buddy. Thanks a lot. How many congratulations you gotten here in the past couple of weeks? Uh, more than I've ever gotten before in my life. (laughs) (laughs) Is is there one congratulation message that meant more to you than any other that you've received? Like somebody texted you or called you that you never would have thought would have reached out?
3: Uh, not really. Uh, I don't think, uh, all of them meant something to me. So, uh, I don't, I don't think there's one that meant more than others. No. Uh, you know, it's always good to hear from people that, uh, you know, you uh, feel like you've impacted a little bit, uh, whether it be, uh, you know, uh, hell, Adrian Peterson or, or you know, Carson or, or Coach Parcells, you know. It's just uh, all, they all mean, uh, they all mean something to me, you know.
0: Did some person of all those people, Adrian Peterson, Carson Palmer, Bill Parcells, did anybody say something that stayed with you?
3: Well, just, uh, you know, I was only with Adrian uh, probably three, four months. Mm -hmm. Um, And for him to uh, realize that, uh, you know, sometimes people do, uh, you know, get what they deserve or what they feel like they deserve by just working and keeping their head down and doing their job. Uh, You know, those kind of comments mean more to me than, uh, you know, uh, because those are real, you know, those are real comments. So, uh, you know. Those kind of mean something to me.
0: Here's what I want to know. You started this season as a position coach. And in all the chatter and speculation about who's going to be a head coach one day, with all due respect, the name Freddie Kitchens has rarely emerged until this year. So how do you go from being a positional coach who's completely off the radar to winding up as the head coach of the Cleveland Browns?
3: Well, I think sometimes Adam, you have to evaluate the evaluator, and uh, you know who's who's making those lists. You know, because uh, all I've ever tried to do is just do my job and uh, do it to the best of my ability, and and uh, you know, I've, everywhere I've been, uh, players have performed well, and uh, you know, I, I don't know what else you judge a coach on. It's uh, either you judge it on what they put on the field, or you judge it off someone else's opinion, and I don't know. Uh, I mean, I don't know. You tell me. Which one means more? Yeah.
0: Well, it's funny. I look back on it when Hugh Jackson was let go as the head coach of the Browns and Greg Williams was given the interim head coaching title. A lot of people said, well, this is an opportunity for Greg to coach, to get the head coaching job. And lo and behold, Freddie Kitchens winds up impressing the heck out of everybody across the league, including those people in Cleveland, and you wind up as the head coach of the Cleveland Browns when nobody was talking about that when he was let go.
3: Yeah, and it's it's the same thing. I mean, Greg did an excellent job, and uh, and everything. I have nothing but respect for Greg. Uh, but you know, at the end of the day, I you know I was just trying to get uh, do my job. Uh, and if everybody just does their job, you know, people get the credit that they are uh, you know deserve to a certain extent. And uh, you know, let the evaluators evaluate whatever they want to evaluate. But I've never. Uh, I've never used any propaganda or anything like that to get a head job or a coordinator's job or, or even a quarterback coaching job, running back. I've never done it. Period. So, uh, you know, I never was going to start. I, you know, everybody comes to like kind of a decision making process in their career of how they want to be and how they want to be portrayed. And I want to be portrayed as a football coach, not a politician. And uh, and that's what I am. And, uh, you know, luckily I was in a great situation from the standpoint of uh, being able to demonstrate uh, the things that I could bring to the table. And, uh, you know, fortunately it ended up being in Cleveland and we had the same vision, the same goals. And uh, ultimately, uh, you know, uh, I guess they made the decision. I'm glad they did.
0: See, I like the quote that you gave at the press conference, Freddie, where you said the Benjamin E. Mays quote, where he said those who start behind – in the game of life, must run faster to catch up. That's pretty good. What What do you take out of that quote that stays with you?
3: Well, it's, uh, I think it's my life. You know, it's uh, Sylvester Kroom. I went to Mississippi State in 2004 uh, with Sylvester Kroom, and that's the first thing he told the team. And uh, I took that with me, um, and everybody that's played for me since then can tell you that. Uh, Can tell you that quote. They can tell you about Benjamin E. Mays. They can tell you that there's a high school in Atlanta, Georgia named after him. They can tell you that he was a mentor to Martin Luther King. So they can tell you those things about the guy because you have to understand the guy before you can understand what his quote means. And then if you can equate that to your life whatsoever, which I can from the time I was a child, um, you know, I never, I never, I always had the things I needed uh, because of what my parents. Uh, went out and did so it wasn't because we were given anything so i've never been given anything don't ever expect to be given anything in return for anything that i do uh you know so i kind of have lived by that ever since uh i'd lived by that uh you know since i was a child but that kind of put it all into meaning uh when uh sylvester uh you know i heard that quote and so i've used it ever since
0: and i take it you've used it on some of your players and passed that wisdom on to them
3: Oh yeah, definitely they're going to get that every year. And uh every year. It's uh just something I you never know what who you're going to affect by something small like that. And I know I was impacted at uh you know, 29 years old. However, old I was when I went to Mississippi State, I was impacted 28, 27. I'm not sure how old I was, yeah. but uh you know, so if if you, if I went 27, 28 years and understood the struggles and things like that just in life in general. Uh, and then I can take that quote and equate it to my life and say, hey, this sums me up, then, of course, it's going to mean something to me. But you never know who you're going to affect by what you say. So I've always just you know, said what I'm in and meant what I say. And uh, if I impact someone, I impact someone. If uh, Everybody can learn from other people if they would just listen and not hear. So, uh, you know, it's, I mean, you learn just as much from players as you do coaches. You learn just as much from players as you do mentors. So sometimes you just have to listen and not hear. Uh, And sometimes I think we, uh, as people, have a hard time with that.
0: You talk about learning. What did you learn in 2013 when you had emergency surgery to repair an aortic dissection?
3: Well, I go back to Coach Bryant. He used to always say um, it cost absolutely nothing uh, to be nice. Now a lot of people think I played for Coach Grant but I played in the 90s so <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know it, it it costs nothing to be nice all right and uh you know now that doesn't mean you're not competitive and that doesn't mean you don't argue and, and uh you have discussions heated discussions sometimes about things but at the core are you a nice person are you a good person and uh so when that happened in 2013 uh you know I got the uh, you know it, Not necessarily, you know, you're not laying there thinking about things you regret doing. You're thinking about things that you regret not doing, all right, because you don't know if you'll ever get a chance to do that. So what I learned is make sure the people around you know uh, how you feel about them because I know this. I know I found out how, what I meant to a lot of people, Uh, so I never wanted that to be reversed, Uh, So that's probably the main thing. I I always felt like, you know, everybody asks, do you have an appreciation for life? I've always had an appreciation for life. I mean, uh, growing up the way I did, growing up uh, in this business the way I did, you have an appreciation for each day of the job. You have an appreciation for life in general. So it never was anything about that. But the human element of things from the standpoint of making sure people know how you feel about them. Uh, Because I know when I was laying there in the hospital, People let me know how uh, what I meant to them, and I just want to make sure I always do that in return.
0: And you got to take a helicopter ride and take pictures for your two girls on that helicopter ride. And that, I think, was what surprised a lot of people, that you would think of your family at a time when literally you could be dying there, and you're taking pictures for your family to see of what it's like to ride in a helicopter for the first time.
3: Yeah. I mean, there's no doubt, Adam. I mean, I, uh, you know, as soon as I found out I was going on a helicopter ride, I, I made sure it was okay. We weren't going, I wasn't going to die in a helicopter crash or anything like that, uh, you know, by taking the electronics, uh, getting interfered with the camera on my phone. But, uh, yeah, I mean, just just, I mean, that's exactly what it was. I wanted to make sure they knew that, uh, you know, my my wife would never let us ride on a helicopter, so. I didn't have a choice that day, so I wanted to make sure that they, uh, they saw that I did, and uh, that's where it was, you know, and, and uh, everybody did a great job.
0: Now, you brought up playing at Alabama, and for those who don't know, you played quarterback at Alabama from 1993 to 1997, had a pretty prolific career there, Freddie, as well. Who's a better quarterback, you or Tua?
3: Oh, Tua, by far. I was just—I uh, mean, they won't even let me back in the state. So, <laughs> but uh, no, they—you uh, know—playing at the University of Alabama was great. Uh, it was great for me, uh, just the college experience. Uh, you know, that was my goal. I mean, a lot of a lot of people's goal um, when they set an individual goal was is to play in the National Football League or whatever. Well, my goal was to play at the University of Alabama. And I did that, and I was able to come away with a degree because that's something no one will ever be able to take away with, from you. And um, you know that's the that's the things at the heart of the matter that are important and things that are going to affect your life. And then in, th- in return, you can start affecting other people's lives for just being who you are. And uh, you know how it is in college—you you discover who you are as a person, and hopefully, you can continue to evolve and get better and better. And and become a better person, and uh, in the coaching business, you become, evolve, and become a better coach through the years, and that's just what I try to do, I just don't ever want to stay the same.
0: We talk about Alabama, we talk about the coaching business, I'm giving you your choice, Nick Saban or Bear Bryant, who are you taking as your head coach?
3: <laughs> oh, you're not getting me with this one, Adam, <laughs> I was going to tell you, but uh, you know, I, I was very fortunate to work for Coach Saban at LSU, and uh you know I can't tell you the the mark that he had on my career uh, you know, but you're talking to someone that uh, that when Coach Bryant went to the hospital uh you know for the last time in you know in the state of Alabama that came across the news and and my dad checked me out of school and and we came home and they said it was serious and then they came over the news and said that he had passed away it was a it was a somber moment uh sad moment. And, uh, you know, I'll never forget that feeling that I had that day. So uh, you're talking about two totally different things, uh, you know, as you know, kids in Alabama during that time period grew up wanting to play for Coach Bryant. And, uh, you know, I never had the opportunity to meet him. Uh, but, you know, I could just, uh, you know, you could just sense it uh, that, you know, I'm sure they have a lot of the same qualities. Yeah.
0: Well, the, I think Alabama, that shows you how much – that coach and that program meant to that state and i think it's similar in ohio where the coach of the cleveland browns that organization can mean that much to that state what would it be like if you could get this team to the playoffs and even win a super bowl
3: well i mean we're we're in this business for one reason um, adam and that's the goal that's the ultimate prize now, how you get there is the difficult part. That's everybody's goal. Now, is everybody willing to pay the price to do it? Uh, and and I'm pretty sure that we are, and uh, we're going to surround us by, with people that are willing to pay that price and willing to pull in the same direction and willing to take the word I. I is not a word. I is a letter. And uh, when we use uh, we, us, our, those are the type of things we want to be using. Uh, when you use the letter i as a word it becomes very dangerous to an organization to a football team and to a person so we want to take that out of the equation and uh we all want to be moving forward and not worry about the results and and do the best that we can on each rep, each day, uh each game, each week, each meeting, everything. Just stay focused on what we're doing right then and then we'll see where we're at at the end of all this but uh you know, that's our ultimate goal. There's only one goal every year, and uh, there's only one happy team every year. So, uh, you know, you can lump us in with all the rest of them, the other 31 teams, because that's our goal, definitely.
0: Is Baker Mayfield your type of quarterback?
3: Baker Mayfield's a winner, and he's my type of quarterback, yes. I like winners.
0: What stands out about him, Freddie?
3: Uh, you know, his competitiveness, his toughness. um, you know sometimes I think uh as a quarterback you have to everybody knows you have to have a certain uh skill set, but you've seen a lot of quarterbacks come through and not be successful with the skill set. It's what makes up the person that separates them and uh he's got all those intangibles competitiveness toughness uh, leadership you know people follow, and uh you know that's what you want out of your quarterback so and he's won he's won here. He's won at Oklahoma, he's won at Texas Tech, he won in high school, he's a winner. So, I like winners.
0: Hey, Freddie, congratulations on winning the Cleveland Browns head coaching job. Tremendous accomplishment. Good for you, good for that city, and thank you for the time today. We wish you the best of luck in your tenure as the Cleveland Browns head coach.
3: Yes, sir, I appreciate you, Adam.
0: And so there's the new head coach of the Cleveland Browns, Freddie Kitchens. Boy, his press conferences this year are going to be great, and if they're winning and the Browns are as relevant as we think that they will be, that's going to be an awful lot of fun to listen to and a fun team to watch. Special thanks to Freddie Kitchens for joining us today. Special thanks to Evan Kaplan for that analytical breakdown of Super Bowl 53. And a special thanks to my friend Field Yates for coming on to discuss Sunday's games and what could come out of them. And a special thank you to you, the listener, for tuning in to another Adam Schefter podcast. Please join us again next week. We'll be joined by Evan Kaplan, chris berman and other surprise guests for super bowl 53 week thanks again for listening everybody